on ABC Radio. This is The Big Fish with Scott Levi. Ahoy there. Welcome aboard to another edition of The Big Fish. Fantastic fisherwoman from Sydney, Nadia Taylor, has had an amazing Hawkesbury River houseboat angling adventure. Mulloway, brim, tailor, flathead, even hair tail on soft plastics and lures. That's our first cast on The Big Fish this morning. And Nadia will share her surefire soft vibe technique as well. Lots of our TBF regulars from New South Wales on the Hume Highway at the moment, heading for Melbourne for the 10th World Recreational Fishing Conference and the Ultimate Fishing Expo today at Melbourne Convention Centre. We'll catch up with Travis Dowling, the Victorian Fisheries Authority CEO, to talk about that brilliant event. Stinkers back and the whole crew here on The Big Fish. Nadia Taylor has just had her dream fishing holiday. Lovely scenery, comfy accommodation, great food, catching your own, and fishing around the clock for six days and six nights straight. Well, I just love the sound of this, Nadia. Good morning. Good morning, Scott. How are you? Oh, going gangbusters. I'm so envious. Having the houseboat on the, the river for a week, you can go wherever you want to go. You've got a tender, you've got a little tinny that you can fish from or straight from the houseboat, pull the fish straight through the window into the pan. Uh, how good is it? It was absolute paradise and uh, doing it with a mate um, of ours, so it was hubby and uh, a mate of ours, we haven't seen since before COVID because he was stuck overseas. So we thought what better way than introducing him to fishing on the Hawkesbury on a houseboat. Oh, just magic. And it's good to get a few because they're quite reasonable, aren't they, if you get a few people on board and they, they do sleep quite a few. They do. Well, the one that we had, you know, was pretty much luxury camping, really, on the water. It was um, There were beds and a toilet and everything, and we're not usually used to all these wonderful facilities when we fish. Um, but it was it was just a joy to be able to wake up and immediately just go out and have a cast with your cuppa in the morning. <laughs> it just sounds like heaven. And that place is so amazing, isn't it? You swear to God, sometimes you're in the Kimberley or somewhere with the big... Sandstone cliffs and caves towering over you, and the national park all, all around. It just is amazing that it's so close to, to five million people. It is, and it's it's just stunning. And as the sun rises and the sun sets, it all changes. You know that landscape changes. That's the beautiful thing about you know the country we live in. All those the sand the sandstone and all that sort of stuff. And of course, you know, fish love that structure. So yeah. <laughs> we always try to fish around um, uh, where, where the fish are liking it. <laughs> and how was the fishing? I mean, you do that trip, and if you caught a brim and threw it in the fry pan or something, you'd say, or a flatty, you'd say, well, that's made it. But how was the fishing? I mean, was it slow? Was it fast? What, what happened? 
well. It started a bit slow from where we were, so we started more around sort of Smith's Creek um, and around that area, and we always choose that because it's beautiful glass sort of water, you know, that reflection, and um, we wanted to ease him into it because he was a bit of a beginner. Um, so it was a bit quiet there, but the more we moved into open water and, you know, around Jerusalem and all that sort of stuff, closer to sort of Lion Island, the fishing became hot. And uh, our mate caught a very decent brim, um, very, very decent indeed. It was a bit of a trophy for him, um, definite PB, and I was very impressed. I would have been loved to catch that. We caught heaps of flatties, we caught lots of dewies, we caught flounder. Um, have you even caught a hair tail on a soft plastic, would you believe it? Wow, how lucky was he not to get bitten off? It was crazy. So we're talking four-pound uh, leader, just normal leader, no wire, nothing like that. Um, and a hair tail nonetheless. We were, I was shocked. Um, I couldn't believe he pulled it on board without losing it. And to me, that's the most, even though... Um, you know, I caught, uh, you know, some decent fish and, of course, caught, caught the most fish on the boat. <laughs> <laughs> of course you did. Uh, not that anyone's that counting. Different. Not that anyone's counting. <laughs> oh, no, not at all. Not at all. But it was funny because our mate, uh, he, he, um, it was his, you know, first proper fishing adventure and uh, he caught the first uh, fish of the trip. He caught the first legal fish of the trip, which was the bream that then I pretty much... <laughs> <laughs> Not that anyone's counting, like you said. <laughs> no, and and um, did you throw any in the fry, fry pan? I mean, it's incredibly easy, oh, isn't yeah. it, to, to cook? What what did you do with them? Did you um, get enough to provide the protein? I did. I was very proud. I caught a beautiful flatty at um, around sixty centimeters. Um, around sixty. Yes. Oh, that's perfect because you don't want to catch a big flathead anymore because you've got to let them go. Sixty is absolutely. Right on the money, isn't it? With the the seventy plus having to go back. Oh yes, it was it was a good feed. You know, it was actually a fat specimen as well. Like, um, you know, I've caught a lot of flatties around that size, and they're perfect eating. But this one seemed to be fatter. Um, I don't know. It was eating some. So you know, it was, there was a lot of um, white bait that was sort of being spat out by a couple of tailor that we caught. So we knew that the bait was about. Um, so it must have been feasting on that white bait before it decided to take my lure. But um, it was a great eating fish. Um, we ate the flathead. We ate some flounder as well that we caught. Um, it was really, really good fishing. Um, and we caught lots of jewfish and, and, and soapies. Wow. They're, they're great fish. Even a small jewy below the, the legal size, I think 70 centimetres these days, isn't it? They're, they're still big, aren't they, on light gear and soft plastics. They give you a workout. Oh, they sure do. We were catching them, you know, I was fishing a 2,500 um, light light leader, you know, light gear and having an absolute ball. They, they really do fight. Um, and, you know, the average ones we were catching around 40 or 50 centimetres, but it was every cast for, you know, a, around bite time or a couple of hours. It was just incredible. I stopped counting at 30. <laughs> it was sort of like we just kept on pulling them on the boat. It was incredible. And they release well in the Hawkesbury. It's usually not, they're not that deep, are they? That they, they go back without too much barotrauma. Oh, absolutely no trauma whatsoever. We were in um, the, the honey spot where we actually caught them was Little Jerusalem Bay. And um, it's not very deep there at all. So it was, ah, it's, just magic. It's a really good release for them, and um, 
I'm sure that I caught one of them maybe twice. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it sounds like all, all on soft plastic, so you're not really cutting up too much bait on the on the in in the house that you're living in. That is true. We look. We do have. Um, we had situations where we caught bait, so we caught some yakas and some tailor, um, and thought we'd just you know we'd, we'd put some gangs through them and chuck them down for the, the for the night predators. Um, we did have one bite, which of course was just behind the hook, <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it was sort of I was like, oh goodness. But um, yeah, we still had a bait for nighttime, sort of you know the the big pelagics that sort of uh, uh, sort of just um, going past. But all of our our um, fishing was pretty much. Um, I love my soft plastics and soft bites. Um, my mate B was using um, a whole bunch of different types of uh, lures because he's a bit of a newbie so he was giving it all a go and uh, my husband absolutely loves uh, those metal slugs he's a big metal slug fan <laughs> and with with uh, that. Taylor around uh, possibly a, a good alternative because they're really cheap and, and soft plastics too because those chopper Taylor they really do make a, a meal of your soft plastics they, they just ruin them don't they oh they sure do <laughs> it's just it's a constant battle I find that you know, there are some brands of soft plastic that are a bit tougher than others, which are great. But whenever you see a tailor, you just feel that it's a tailor um, on the line. You're like, oh, no. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know it's not going to be the same pulling that soft plastic up. But you just get so much. Oh, I find I get so much more results on soft plastics and soft vibes. So, and even, the, you know, hard vibes and, and some other bodies. So I, I don't really use um, a lot of bait. I prefer to use the bait board for gutting and cleaning my fish and uh, making dinner. It's the big fish, and we're speaking with Nadia Taylor, fisherwoman extraordinaire, who uh, hired a houseboat and had a great adventure on the Hawkesbury, five days with a, a little tender attached. What was it like to fish off the houseboat itself? Was was that okay, or did you fish out of the tender? Oh, we did a bit of both. So we fished on the houseboat um, for most of the time, because, as I said, B is a bit of a, you know, he's a bit of a new starter. So we wanted him to feel safe. Um, the back of the houseboat was actually pretty well designed in the sense of, you know, the little awning that sort of comes over. You could still cast quite cleanly. Um, and there was like a protruding section at the back of the houseboat. So it was really, really good fishing um, for, you know, all that casting that we're doing. Um, we did, uh, you know get in that tender and, and have a putter around and that's how we got um, onto a lot of brim and whiting as well down the, the you know, there are a couple of uh, sand banks there which are very, very nice. So, um, yeah, but fishing on the back of a houseboat is a lot easier than you think because you, you, you're you on a mooring. So, and those moorings are permanent and um, they are structured too, you know, and they've been there for a while. So we like to burly it up um, and Actually, my friend became, uh, we, we sort of called him the these burly bust-up because he was so passionately <laughs> burling because with bait and, uh, you know, and, and whatnot come, brings the fish in. So even if the fish weren't in that bay by the end of the day, um, we were getting plenty of bites thanks to the burly. I just think that hot Mulloway bite would have been exceptional fun on a, a, a small outfit You're using very light line. And I know that you can get busted off, but... The light line is a bit of a secret too, isn't it? Because you get so many more bites. Oh, the lighter you can go, the best it will be for you and the more action you're going to get. Um, I was using, it was um, 10-pound braid, 12-pound leader on a 2,500, um, and, and it was just constant. You know, I, And I was using a soft vibe. Um, I don't know if I can say the brand, but it's a Samaki soft vibe in Yakka. 
Um, and they were just, it was like a lollipop to them. Every time it went down, caught a fish, just cast after cast after cast. It was, it was almost unbelievable how hot the yeah. fishing was. What do you like about the soft vibe? Um, you know, what, what are some of the things you like about fishing the soft vibe and, and how do you fish it? Obviously, you've, you've worked it out. It's, it's getting you good results. It is. And um, I was actually, my, my husband um, was trying to get a couple of tips because I actually got the couple of tips that I know um, off a, a really, um, well, because I was part of that Bar Apprentice program, you know. So I picked it up being in the program of uh, Joe Starling, another person on your on your show, as well as uh, Waddy, who um, was a, a, a host for us um, up in the Northern Territory, or the Northern Territory in Darwin. He has barefoot fishing adventures, and the way they taught me to fish them, because I was just doing too much with them. So it's actually, the way I fish a soft vibe is just really slow movement with, you know, you don't have to feel a big thump, thump, thump through the line. You just have to feel that little touch of mm, mm. vibration as you're moving that rod tip up. So it's just that mm. one slow rod tip up and let it sink back down. Um, and, of course, wind in as you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. So you're almost uh, almost like drifting a bait but just giving it a little bit of action. That's, that's, that's interesting because I always fish everything too fast. I'm a bit excitable and, and I love that as you lift. Yes. But that's a bit too much, is it? You, you just want to very, be very much, subtle. As I found out, I was, I, like, as I said, I used to fish them like that. And after the program, it's like, no, you're going too fast. Go slow, Nadia. Go slow. So when I went slow, it's just improved my soft vibe fishing no end. Um, I do like the ones with the more thumper tails of soft vibes too rather than the fork. Um, I find it gives a bit more action in the water. And like I said, I was um, showing Hubby and I'm like, you're going too fast, tips I had. And then he started catching fish. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, that's a really good tip. But isn't it fantastic when a big flathead lifts up off the bottom and smashes it and then you feel that, that head shake as it tries to, to you know, uh, throw it away. And, and then when it comes up to the back of the boat and it's still not over, you've got to get the net uh, because once they get on the surface and they do that seesawing in their head, they'll, they'll either bite you off or throw the lure. So they're, they're quite good at getting off. But it sounds like that beautiful 60-centimetre one that ended up in the fry pan on the houseboat, uh, it was well hooked. Was that on a soft vibe? It was well hooked on a soft vibe indeed. So it wasn't even a soft plastic. I caught that one on a soft vibe too. Um, it was a fight on the way up. I find that the the bigger ones don't fight as much. <laughs> the middle, the, that sort of size seemed to really thrash about. Yeah. Um, and I brought it, we did the, you know, the danger zone for anything flathead related, as you said, is on the surface. Try and keep them below until the person with the net's ready. <laughs> was that off the houseboat or out of the tender? That was off the houseboat. Wow. So how is it netting a big flathead off the back of a houseboat? Yes. Yeah, so we were lucky. There's, there's sort of like a little section with steps. So nice, a little, I, little uh, sort of uh, marlin board at the back. Yes, yes, exactly. So um, it was a bit difficult in terms of space sometimes because you had three people on the back there. But uh, yeah, we managed. It was okay because essentially I was um, making sure my rod tip was down, stepping back whilst uh, the, uh, the the net person, which was my husband, thank you, <laughs> successfully. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I've heard that he tries to knock them off deliberately um, sometimes. <laughs> Well, I'm glad he, he, uh, he was probably he was probably hungry. He was probably hungry, and then That's right. I just love that that idea of of pulling a beautiful 
legal size flathead aboard, 60 centimetres, so below the slot limit, whacking off a couple of big fillets and flouring them up, bit of salt and pepper, straight in the fry pan. I mean that with a salad and, and sitting back on the deck with a, a nice white wine as the sun sets. I mean, is that as good as it gets? Yeah, I think so. I think you must have been on the boat with us because that's exactly I what I know happened. what you like. I know exactly. <laughs> well, what, what civilised person wouldn't love that? Oh, it was it was amazing. And as our mate B said, he was just saying how it was the freshest fish he's ever had, you know. Um, and it tasted just even more glorious um, with the sun setting and, and a nice glass or something. Um, and to know, you know, for me, it's really rewarding. You know, I fed, I fed the boat, you know. And it's, that's always one of the best parts about fishing is, yes, we put back pretty much nearly everything we caught other than what we ate. So that's that's the gorgeous part about fishing. Oh, what a great holiday. Right here amongst uh, where most of the population listening to this live, uh, the Hawkesbury River, the, the longest uh, river system, I think, on uh, the East Coast in New South Wales. And uh, what a place to have an adventure. Nadia, tight lines. Thanks for sharing it with us. I almost felt like I was there, but um, so, so good that you had such fun and uh, caught a few fish on the way. Yes, thank you so much, Scott. You should come with us next time. <laughs> I'll be in it. I'll be in it. Don't worry. I've got a few family members who might fill up some of the cabins too. It uh, sounds like a great idea. Tight lines, Nadia. Thank you. On ABC Radio, this is The Big Fish. When fishing last Sunday and I caught a smelt Put him in the pan and the fire he felt of all the smells I ever smelt. Well? I never smelt a smelt like that smell smelt. As the salmon swam up the river to spawn, yeah. he said to himself with a great big yawn, ho, ho. the next time I come up this way, I'm gonna make the trip in a Chevrolet. Oh, ho. Thank you. 
On ABC Radio, this is The Big Fish. Coming up on The Big Fish, you'll hear about departures and arrivals with Stinker, who's been documenting the movement of fish and other marine life in the Port Stephens region for over 40 years now in his weekly fishing column with the help of local fisher folk. Also coming up, the CEO of the Victorian Fisheries Authority, Travis Dowling, to talk about the biggest fishing convention ever lured to Australia, the 10th World Recreational Fishing Conference, kicking off with the Ultimate Fishing Expo today and tomorrow at the Melbourne Exhibition Centre. I know a lot of our big fish regulars are on the the Hume Highway listening in this morning, heading down to that great event. So many good things happening to benefit the millions of wreck fishers across the border. All coming up in the next half hour on The Big Fish. Walk the sleep from my eyes It's a weekend I can drop my disguise Better get it moving Before the sunrise 
The Big Fish on ABC Radio. Here comes Tinker with his fishing tips. Some hot advice for your fishing trip. Where to find him? What's the bait? Are you catching any, mate? You've all heard of train spotters and plane spotters who keep an eye on arrivals and departures when it comes to planes. But Stinker, good morning. <laughs> G'day, Scott. What are, you, what are you on to this morning? Well, I'm, I'm getting at, um, you're a bit of a fish spotter. We all know that. And you've got all your spies there who constantly provide you with tons of, of information for your fishing column in, in the Port Stephens area. And um, you've been keeping an eye on arrivals and departures when it comes to, to fish and, and other um, marine creatures, haven't you, over the years? You've, you've been able to follow trends, I would think. Well... Certainly, that, that's for sure. Uh, it's, it's quite interesting to me. Fish have always been a fascination to me that you've probably gathered that already. But to be in the position that I'm in, and that is to be the, to be the spokesperson for fishing in Port Stephens through the local newspaper, and all the informants that I do have, both north and south, and I'm getting always, um, a wave of information, and it has, and I have received that for forty years. For forty years, I've I've really had my finger on the pulse. And as you say, Scott, there have been changes in the comings and goings. And what have you seen? What what's what is well? Let's start with some of the new arrivals because that's pretty exciting and and pretty upbeat, isn't it? Well, it is. It is, and and you sort of always well the one that I've always wanted to to come here and I've invited them on on numerous (laughs) occasions uh, as of course the mangrove jack because I think they're one of the most magnificent fish in the water a mangrove jack. They're tenacious they're beautiful to look at and they're fantastic in the kitchen and so I'm thinking gee I wish we'd have more of them but in 40 years I've reported three (laughs) So I don't get too overexcited about Bangrove Jack, but I'm hoping that they might, because there is a move from fish from warmer waters are moving south, and that that's become apparent 
with the number of emperor that we're catching here. They are great fish. They are great fish. So will you catch those on the inshore reefs where you hunt the snapper? Yep. Yes. And interestingly enough, and most fascinating, the stories of emperor that I've heard of recently, I've been catching them off the beach on Esmeralda Beach in Esmeralda Cove on Broughton Island. One fellow I know caught three. Wow. Yeah, I mean that's quite extraordinary. But I've I've um, also caught them. I've caught them here, fishing for snapper off the rocks. They they can be caught. Um, you know, it's not surprising anymore to catch one, and mm. they're good ones too. Yeah. I mean, you know, two and two and a half to three kilo. I mean, you get one, you think, oh, this is a snapper. Then you look at it close, you think, hang on a minute, that's not a snapper. That's something else, and that's what it is. It's an emperor. And, oh, they're the most beautiful fish, and they're beautiful in the kitchen too. Yeah, they're beautiful to eat. They're great fun to catch. They fight really hard. They look great. I mean, they're just – but you do associate them with the Great Barrier Reef, don't you? Oh, well, certainly further north, as you do with pearl perch. Now, now pearlies, um, and not much further north, I mean, up around Seal Rocks, they they seem to be increasingly uh, more common – but now they're, they're even um, coming down here. And I'm talking mainly from Fingal, where I live, south down to, towards Newcastle area. And I don't know, and I'd be most interested to find out, whether a reporter, you could see if you could find one, uh, someone like myself down south of Newcastle, and find out what they have learnt over the years. So, um, yes, well, Pearl Perch have arrived. Um, Emperor arrived. I'm still waiting for Mangrove Jack, but I'll also catching traglin. In and I've never fish I've never caught before here. Further north I have, but not here. And a mate of mine got five or five the other day. Five's the illegal number mm. uh, that you can catch. And really, if you catch one, you normally catch more than one because they school and they and and they're not real bright. <laughs> and they're not real smart. They don't sort of stick around and wonder where their mates have gone. They sort of just are quite happy to attack a bait as soon as it arrives. So, um, are they about the same to eat as a as a mulloway? Do you reckon? And they're they're easy to tell apart. Well, they're not that easy because they look similar in shape, but the trag has got a very yellow mouth and a uh, a tail. The tail's different, isn't it? That's concaved. I think. Yeah, that's right. They're mm. very similar. And people do get them confused. But, I mean, they're, they're the, the fish that have arrived, and they're very, very welcome. All those fish are very welcome. Um, but the, probably the ones that have departed, and the one that sort of gives me, gives me greatest concern, and this is something that's got me really perplexed, and I, I can't quite understand it. Generally, things have a reason. But I can't understand the reason that squid have become... Few and far between, but when I arrived in Port Stephen some 50 years ago, squid were just crawling over the top of each other. I mean, the catch of squid was the simplest thing on earth, and they were those big green-eyed squid too, not the little, not the little ones or arrow squid, but um, calamari squid, and and great thumping ones. And and it, you know, sometimes you get sick of cleaning them. And so you just give them away so that you didn't have to clean them. But now it's very rare 
for me to report a good catch of squid. I mean, you can always get one or two, you know, and if anyone says, oh, I caught three squid today, I think, gee, that's a good day. Because, but, but before, years ago, if they caught three, you've had a bad day. So I don't know what's happened to the squid. Maybe someone can answer that question for me. It's certainly a re- research project there. We're speaking to Stinker about arrivals and departures over the, the 40 years he's been reporting on fishing around uh, Port Stephens and that area, I guess we could say, from Seal Rocks down to, I don't know, Boat Harbour, I guess. What, what's your, your, your area where the, the locals uh, keep you in touch? Oh, yeah, Seal Rocks. I, I get um, regular reports from Seal Rocks, and they're all good. I mean, Seal Rock's a fantastic fishing spot. And then down to Stockton. Which yeah, down is, to uh, Stockton Beach, yeah, Barubi. Yeah, at the southern end of Stockton yeah. Beach. Now, you mentioned um, the, the, the Moses Perch or the Moses Snapper turning up. I caught a beaut- one of those uh, in, in the river at Ballina. That was a really decent size one, actually. They don't get huge, but they're very similar to a, a jack, apart from the, 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 the finger mark on them or the, the, the black spot. But I'm thinking there'd be a lot of habitat Mile Lakes, up the, that huge Karua River uh, complex, where if, if jacks did move in, they'd, they'd love it, wouldn't they? Oh, it, yeah. We've got, we got no shortage of healthy mangrove forests, but it must be water temperature. It, it's got to mm. be water temperature. But, yes, like you say, Moses Perch, um, I've, I, once I caught two in a row. Two throws, I caught two Moses Perch. And that's all I've done in 40 years. <laughs> and that was in two throws. I mean, how bizarre. There's another one called a bluefish. Now, have you ever heard of a bluefish? Yeah, I have. I've, I've caught one on uh, Lord Howe Island. I, I went across to Lord Howe Island, had a great adventure years ago, and they're quite prolific over there, but apparently they're very rare here. And they're beautiful, right. beautiful-looking now, fish. The locals like to eat them, similar to a, a ludric. That's, that's right. Uh, that's right. They look a bit like a blue ludric. That's right. And I caught a couple in one day there, and and rarely since then too. So they come and went. Um, and um, the other fish that I was thinking about there was one other one. I'm, I'm, I've, it's left me mind, Scott. I can't think of it. You what know? about the the things that that are genuinely, and you'll think about it while we talk about this, genuinely cyclical. You know, the, the crabs seem to boom and bust. I, I don't know what it is, but there's probably a good breeding event. The, the spawn goes outside, floats on the current, then all comes back in, and then they all grow together and they all hit maturity. You know what I mean? There, there's something going on with blue swimmer crabs in all of our estuaries where you have years where they're, it's crawling with them and other years where they're a lot uh, sparser in number. Yeah, well, that, that's been an odd one too because, Mum, three years ago, I think, was the last time that we've really had a good crab season. So for the last three years, the last three seasons, we've struggled for crabs. Um, and you wonder whether it's the rain. Is it the rain or is it the, the, the drought <laughs> or is it the salinity? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. And Stinker, with, with the crabs, um, now that you're using those turtle-friendly methods... You you believe the catch rate increased when they're on? Is that right? That the, the, those methods are still very effective. So that change of methods would have nothing to do with numbers booming or busting, sort of thing. Well, you know that's that's right. That's very true because 
We don't use witches' hats in Port Stephens. And that's not the reason that people aren't catching crabs. They're because we now use uh, traps or we use dilly pots. Now, traps are used by commercial fishermen. They are the most effective method of catching crabs. The easiest way to catch crabs is to set a trap and then pick it up two days or one day later. That's the easiest way to do it. Uh, but that's not working either. So they're simply not there. You can't catch them if they're not there. Um, that goes without saying. And the mud crab's pretty much the same. So two, three years ago, we had a fantastic mud crab season. And three years ago, we had a crack of a blue swimmer season. But the last two years particularly has, has been, um, oh, gee, very poor. Very poor. Mm, mm. So there's a reason, but I don't know what it is. Now, the pearl perch is supposed to be found um, in small schools, according to New South Wales Fisheries, on deeper offshore reefs between Port Macquarie and Rockhampton. But the pearlies have been turning up too, have they? Oh, yeah. We're getting increased numbers of pearl perch. Um, so there, um, Port Macquarie, we're, we're south of Port Macquarie. So, um, you know, we're, a lot of, um, I think, uh, mangrove jack. Now, what a wonder is the southern extreme of mangrove jack? Because I have heard of them caught in one in Sydney, or rarely, rarely. But there's another fish too, um, the the black cod. Now, the reason we don't get many black cod because it doesn't, uh, the range doesn't extend all that far either. But up around Lord Howe Island, there's heaps of them. And even further north, the black cod's a beautiful fish. Oh, gee, I caught one that went. Well, you caught one. Yeah, I, we were fishing for drummer, and I pulled a, a monster out uh, while we were fishing with, with kanji, I think, for drummer or prawns. Yeah. I, I can't remember, but it was um, it was a bloody beauty. And, and you immediately said, oh, you've got to let that go, Scott. <laughs> My eyes lit yeah. up. And it would, it would have been, oh, gee, it would be well over 10 pounds. It was a cracking yeah. fish was it was i've caught i've seen about in my 40 years of, of uh, reporting them i've seen about oh, half a dozen you know mm. so that that doesn't say, say that there's plenty here that said there's very few here well i remember <laughs> a, a scuba dive or snorkeling i should say with your mate mark mackalone who's uh, you know the, the underwater <laughs> champion of that area and he, I've never seen him more excited. We saw a juvenile black cod with a yellow stripe through it, and they're really pretty when they're little. And he was, um, wow, he was over the moon to see that. That was one of his great moments. Yeah. I, if you could, uh, maybe, or even if someone's listening uh, from down south, I'm saying south of Newcastle, I'd like to know what they've experienced over the last 40 years. Someone from a bait and tackle shop, or someone who writes an article like I do, I'll find out if they have have experienced my uh, what I've experienced. Like Taylor, another one that's dropped off significantly. Flathead and Paul Stevens have remained excellent, excellent. Brim, we've always got a heap of brim. Never shortage of of um, whiting, and we've got plenty of mulloway. Although I'm told the size of mulloway. Average size of Mulloway have decreased. Um, kingfish, we're no shortage of kingfish around here. So everything else has stayed remarkably stable. 
But there are others, as we have just mentioned, that have come and gone. Uh, and when they come, I wonder why. And when they go, I wonder why. <laughs> so someone might be able to explain all that to me. Well, some of those things that can't run away, I mean, it's fairly obvious why they disappear, isn't it? Like your abalone, like your... Uh, although there's been some disease with abalone, but particularly your pippies. I mean, that was uh, pretty much much a case of over-harvest, wasn't it? Well, over-harvest. There's a boom and bust in everything, as you mentioned previously. But once you get too many bust, 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 year after year after year, you start to look at reasons why. And not only by commercial fishermen, but, but by recreational um, gatherers, coming from outside the area, they just simply decimated our, our pippy population. And with abalone, well, a thing called prochensis, which is disease, um, that went through uh, abalone because they were so thick. 40, 50 years ago in Port Stephens, abalone was so thick, and now they're very, very hard to find. So there have been changes. There have been big, big changes over the last 50 years. And really, I think fisheries, when they're starting to do find out what's going on around the place, rather than to do surveys that I find, think find out very little, I think they should go and speak to people like myself who have been in, involved in it for such a long time just to find out what, what we think. Um, like I say, I can't give you an answer to why, but I can tell you what's what's arrived and what's departed. Yeah, sure. And talk to the spearfishers and talk to the, the recreational divers and talk to the, the uh, commercial fishers. Uh, I think they are a wealth of untapped information. Stinker, well, very interesting to talk about arrivals and departures. I'd better let you depart to go fishing. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. Travis Dowling, the CEO of Victorian Fisheries Authority, is inviting the world to Melbourne. Well, the fishing world, that is. Welcome back to The Big Fish, Travis. Always lovely to be on The Big Fish, Scott. Thank you for having me. What a coup. What a coup. Boy, this is a a really exciting story for Australian wreck fishers, not just Victorian ones that you look after. Tell us about The Big Do. Well, it's it's huge for Victoria. It's huge for Australia. It's the 10th World Wreck Fishing Conference. It's only the second time it's ever been to Australia. The, the last time it was in Australia was about uh, 10 years ago. It's actually 15 years ago in Darwin. And uh, in between, it's been to places like Rio in, uh, in South America and Brazil. It's been to um, uh, uh, Canada, Vancouver. It's been to Berlin. And now it's coming to Melbourne, Australia. And so we've got people coming from over 20 different countries around the world to talk about and to look at the science of recreational fishing and the value of recreational fishing. We're absolutely excited. And to all of your listeners, try and make it down for it. It is fantastic. Is the average fisher person invited? So what's really exciting, Scott, is that today and tomorrow, we're seeing lots of people from across Australia, from New South Wales, from Victoria, from everywhere, attending our fishing expo, which is sort of like the, the curtain raiser for the World Rec Fishing Conference. So the World Wreck Fishing Conference will kick off on Monday and run through to Wednesday. But today, Saturday, and tomorrow, Sunday, we've got a free expo. We're, we're anticipating we're going to get thousands of people from, from Sydney, from Wodonga, from Shepparton, from Melbourne, from all across Australia 
coming to our free expo. And uh, we've got great weather for it, 35 degrees uh, in Melbourne today, and we're looking forward to everyone coming through the door and, and really getting excited about, uh, about fishing. Where's it at, Travis? Oh, it's at the um, Exhibition Centre in Melbourne, and all the details are up on our, up on our website. Just Google WRFC10.com and it'll bring you up and you've got all of your, all of your information about the, uh, about the free fishing expo that's on today, about all of the celebrities that are going to be at the expo and the free giveaways and what you can see and learn about. And then you can also learn about the conference, which kicks off on Monday. So the conference, you've got to register for the conference and there is a cost for that. And we, are, um, we have got scientists from coming in from all around the world and wreck fishing enthusiasts that will be on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday talking about things such as uh, keeping pace with, uh, with a dynamic, challenging world and changing fisheries on climate change, uh, fishing stewardship, resource monitoring and data acquisition, technology use and citizen science. So lots of different things about you really want to get into the nitty-gritty of the science of recreational fishing, the conference is going to be for you. And they're coming from as far afield as, as Tamworth. We heard from Anne Mitchie from Ozfish Unlimited, their New England Tablelands chapter. Uh, she's, she's on the, on the way. She's probably on the road as, as we speak. Um, what about heading down to the Yarra and catching a fish or two, uh, <laughs> boss? Can, can you do that? <laughs> oh, look, look, absolutely. We're encouraging anyone who's travelling from around the world or who is travelling from across Australia while you're in Victoria, come and enjoy Australia's best fisheries. We've got, you know, we've got a city of six and a half million people in Melbourne, and I can assure you, Port Phillip Bay has never been fishing better. The snapper and the whiting are going ballistic, and if you like the old humble calamari or flathead, there are plenty of those as well. But while you're here, you can have a crack at southern bluefin tuna straight at the head to the bay. You can pop down to the Yarra and catch a black brim, and people catch the occasional barramundi. I know your listeners won't believe No, I don't believe that. I know, do, there are Macquarie, I know there are Macquarie perch in the upper reaches up through the suburbs of Melbourne in the Yarra, but barramundi, come on. No, there, there are definitely Macquarie perch and there are Murray cod up towards, as you head up uh, through Templestowe and you head up towards Warrandyte. But uh, um, very interestingly for your listeners, uh, occasionally we believe there may be releases made from some of the restaurants in, uh, in Melbourne, and, uh, and they're released in there. And only two weeks ago, we had an electro-fishing team in the Yarra uh, in Collingwood, and guess what popped up? A barra. A barra Monday in the Yarra River. A barra so, in the Yarra. That's right. <laughs> I reckon I've got to write another fishing poem about that. The, the alliteration is just too good. Oh, I'm going to have to jump on a trademark that really quickly. Or a song. There's a barrow in the Yarra. <laughs> no, you're... Pu- well, I, I wouldn't believe anyone else, but I believe you because you're the CEO of the Victorian Fisheries Authority, Travis Dowling. And uh, I believe I hear from a a, a well, well-respected um, source on the, the beautiful Goulburn River, which is such a, a great trout fishery that once a big rainbow trout actually hooked you. Tell us that uh, story. Yes, Scott. So um, it was it was a couple of years ago. I was uh, I was drifting down in a in a pair of board shorts and runners, and got into a spot where I didn't think that anyone else could get into because it was big blackberry on both sides. And we're above Kemington on the Goulburn River, and um, and I was using a, a little uh, bib lure, a CD three Rapala, and uh, I, I literally swam into this hole, and uh, and I thought, well, this is going to be a cracking spot because no one else can throw a line at these fish, and I I cast this Rapala out, and I caught. A two-pound rainbow, and for some people, you know, the two-pound rainbow trout isn't the fish of a lifetime, but fish 
in the upper Goulburn uh, many years ago. It was uh, a bit of a trophy trout. But I'd lost so many fish through the day. So what, as I got it up, I grabbed it with my hand. And for your listeners, the thing about treble hooks is they can be a little bit pointy. And it had one of the trebles in its mouth and the other treble then um, uh, lodged itself in my thumb. And the thing about fish, they don't necessarily like being held onto with a warm hand. So it was kicking around. As it was kicking around, it continued to drive this uh, this treble uh, into my thumb. And I have to say, I, I did end up um, having that fish for dinner, and it, and it was delicious. But um, I think we were both, we both, we both came out of it. Um, for the I couldn't words. think of anything more painful than a, a rainbow trout, which just go berserk, and a big one at that, and uh, those uh, trebles firmly through your hand. I mean, <laughs> it was um, a big wild rainbow, and it wasn't happy about that. No, before. they're so so strong. The ultimate fishing expo is on today and tomorrow at Melbourne's. Convention Centre and Exhibition Centre right on the, the banks of the Yarra in the heart of the town. So tight lines, well done, uh, Travis Dowling, and to all of your staff down there in Victoria, certainly doing the right thing. Catch, uh, catch you next time on The Big Fish. Always a pleasure, Scott. Go uh, enjoy your fishing, everyone. Saturday is a very fine day to do a little work in the yard. But when the sun is shining away, it makes the work too hard. It makes the work too hard. Out of the side, put a mini can and go get a rod. Let's go fishing for a day and a half a mile. Let's go fishing for a day and a half a mile. Get out of it. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.